And um, in Acts chapter 19, we're going to finish it up today looking at what's going on in Ephesus. You know, when we think of Ephesus, we don't give it probably the, the due it deserves. Ephesus was one of the four great cities. You had Rome, Corinth, Alexandria, and Ephesus. Those were really equal, of course, Rome being the, the, the capital of the empire. But Ephesus ranked up right there with Alexandria and uh, Corinth. And it hosted one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was the great temple of Diana or Artemis, which was the pre-Greek name of the temple. What had happened is a meteor had fallen from the sky, hit the ground. They attributed that to the god, and they, they attributed that to Artemis, and they built a huge, massive temple like I said, one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And they would worship. Diana was the Roman name. And so, this, it was known, Ephesus was known for that temple. It was known for magic. Remember when we were together last, when I was here and we taught about how they burned the magic books and all the magicians tried to cast out demons or they tried to bring blessings and they would charge people to do that. It was known for its magic. And this is Paul's third missionary journey. It's not really a journey at all because he hangs out in Ephesus for three years, really building down deep into a few guys. And what we saw last time was we saw that there were people that didn't have the complete picture. In fact, the time prior to that, we looked at how Aquila and Priscilla, which came from Rome, And they came and Paul filled in their gaps and then they filled in the gaps for Apollos who was the first uh, post-apostolic preacher. In other words, he was not an apostle. Apollos was not an apostle like Paul or the twelve disciples. He was the first post-apostolic preacher and he had gaps and so... Priscilla and Aquila filled in his gaps. And that's the way it's supposed to work. You disciple somebody, they disciple somebody. And so, Paul's ministry's winding down. New people coming in. And last time we were together, we saw that there were 12 followers of John the Baptist who were not believers. They only knew the teaching of John. And even though it says something similar about Apollos, we don't see Paul baptizing Apollos. He recognized the Spirit in Apollos, not in these twelve. And if you remember, John the Baptist had been off the scene for a long time. Jesus had ascended probably 30 years prior. And so these men, these twelve, who referred to themselves as disciples or believers of Messiah, didn't know how Jesus fulfilled that. They didn't know that the permanent Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit would indwell them permanently. They didn't know they needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so Paul filled in those gaps. And we saw when we were together last time, there were two types of faith. Jesus and everything else. It's not Jesus and Buddhism and Confucianism. There's only two categories. There's Jesus, faith in Jesus, and faith in anything else. And there can be some things that attach themselves to Jesus' name 
but it's not Jesus. Their faith isn't in Jesus. In other words, you're not called to have faith in facts about Jesus. You're called to have faith in Jesus. And there's a lot of people in our country that have faith in the facts about Jesus that would call themselves believers. But He doesn't know them, and they don't know Him. And so we saw that when we looked at those 12. We also saw there were two types of message. Jesus' way or the human way? Man's way. Either that, that, That's the message. The only way to the Father is through the way that Jesus instructed us, which is through Him. No other way. Doesn't matter what people think and how they try to define gravity. If Brian, you jumped off the Empire State Building and said, well, I don't believe it's true. I don't trust in gravity. I think that's just a bunch of junk. You're going to fall smack and smack the, the dirt down there because truth is truth. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So there's two messages, Jesus' way or man's way. And then we saw two sources of power illustrated because Paul brought a supernatural power. He took control. You know, he, Demons were cast out of people. And when the seven sons of Sceva tried to emulate him using satanic ritual, some kind of satanic power, it didn't work. And Satan will sometimes let his minions cast out demons to counterfeit what God does. But there's only two sources of power supernaturally in the universe. There's God and there's a Satan. Satan is limited. God isn't. And so that's what we saw. But key, the key verse in it all was verse 20. And if you remember, I want to read it. It really kind of sets the stage for what we're going to finish up today at the end of 19. So in 19... Verse 20, it says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord continued to increase. So the word of the Lord is what? When you hear the word of the Lord, what was that synonymous with? It was the gospel. The word of the Lord, you could have just said, So the gospel continued. It was synonymous with that. So today, as we look at this text, and we look at what happens, there's a riot that takes place. But God reveals that the word of the Lord or the gospel triumphs over false religion. Because we see what happens when, when God's word con- encounters people who are loyal to a false religion. So God's word triumphs over false religion. It also triumphs over false worship. Can you be in a church that teaches the truth of God and worship falsely? Yes. Can you think of an Old Testament example of somebody who tried to approach God in a way that they shouldn't have done? This morning I shared the story and and I was talking about Nadab and Abihu. Abihu. And um, very few people even know the story. And it's a very very informative story it would be one we would be well to read because people think we can just come to God any way we want whenever we want however we want and that wasn't true God had set standards he had set things that you were supposed to do and these were sons of Aaron the high priest 
And they presumed, that's the key word, they presumed to go on their own authority to do it the way they thought. And they were struck dead. Uzzah presumed to help the cart. Even then, the cart wasn't being carried the way it was, the ark wasn't being carried the way it was supposed to. You can't just worship God any way you want to. You can. But He has prescribed how we should worship Him. And when you worship falsely under your own authority, under your own pretense, it never works out good. And we're going to see that. And finally, we see that God reveals that His Word triumphs not only over false religion and false worship, but false witnesses. When false witnesses rise up against you, and they will, if you live for God long enough, if you walk for Him long enough, there will be people that will bring false accusations against you. They are instruments of the enemy. When they bring those false accusations, you need to trust that God's Word triumphs even over their false accusations and those false witness. So, we're going to look at the text and work through it. And we're going to look at each one of these, how it triumphs over the false religion first in verses 21-27. through 27. So join me in reading. We're going to just work through this verse by verse. Starting in verse 21. Now after these events, what events? Well, when everybody sold their books and they burned them because they, they didn't want the magic anymore. They didn't want to follow that. They wanted to follow the one true living God, Yahweh, and they wanted to follow Jesus as Messiah. So when those things happen, it says Paul resolved in the Spirit, which means he was being led by the Spirit, not his own desires, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Why? Because all roads lead to Rome back then. Everybody wanted to see Rome. Paul wanted to go to Rome for different reasons than everybody else. Paul didn't want to go see the gladiators. He wanted to go share the Gospel there. He knew there was a church in Rome. And do you know that we don't know of any apostle that went to Rome that started that church. But there was a church there. Aquila and Priscilla came from there. And Paul wanted to go there to make sure that they had right doctrine on his way to Spain, the Iberian Peninsula. Because Paul always wanted to go where the Gospel hadn't been preached. And so it says in verse 21 that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go. Why did he want to go back and go to Rome? Because basically Macedonia, Achaia, those key cities of Corinth, Philippi, and, and all those cities along that straight line from Antioch to Rome were places that Paul wanted to hit knowing that the Gospel would spread from those major cities out to the rural areas. And so, why does it say he wanted to go through Macedonia and Achaia? Well, if you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, when Paul is writing the church in Corinth, he was having to deal... One reason he wanted to go back is he had to deal some problems. There were having some issues at the church in Corinth. People were misusing the gifts. People were being terrible witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he had to go deal with that. But he also had another reason. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. 
For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. So he keeps talking about being ready. What is he talking about there? Being ready for what? I'm bragging on you. I'm telling other people about you so that you can be ready. Well, let's go to the next verse down here and, and go back to 19. Verse 22 says, And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Wow. He stayed, in, he stayed in Asia, but he sent Timothy on and Erastus. Why? Romans 15, 25 says, At present, Paul's writing the Roman church, says, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. The church in Jerusalem was being persecuted, and the reason he's going through Macedonia and Achaia is he's sending Timothy and Erastus to go get collections, to take up money, so they can support the saints who were in Jerusalem. And he says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And so that's why he sends them there. He sends Timothy and Erastus. And, and 1 Corinthians 16, 8 says, Paul's writing again to the Corinthians. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. When's Pentecost? 49 days after Passover. I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Paul's talking about what we're about to read right here in 1 Corinthians 16.8. And he says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Why do you think it might have been intimidating for Timothy to go ask for money from the Corinthian church? One, he was young. Two, anytime you ask for money from a bunch of selfish, pleasure-driven people, that's hard, right? Hence, America, look, right? And, and it, was, it was going to be hard, so he's instructing them. But here's what I want you to take note of. Paul is writing to the Corinthians about what's going on in Acts. And you can see how Scripture validates Scripture. The stories line up. And so he gives us an explanation of why he's doing what he's doing. Verse 23. About this time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. What's the way? Yeah, it, it, it was... It was that you cannot have a relationship with a monotheistic Yahweh apart from His Son, Yeshua. That's what it is. That's the way. Uh, no idols, no Baal worship, no Asherah worship. The only worship is through the one true living God and His Son, Jesus. And so, how does God's Word triumph over false religion? Well, if you remember, back in Genesis 1, when God made the earth, 
when he spoke, it says that the earth was without form and void. That word means empty. It's a Hebrew word that's only found three times in the Bible. Okay? It's tohu, T-O-H-U, vavohu. Tohu, vavohu. Vavohu, and what it means is just emptiness. It's found in Jeremiah 4. Vavohu is V-A-V-O-H-U. So tohu, say it, tohu, vavohu. In Genesis 1-2, when it says it was without form and void, that's that phrase, tohu vavohu. The same phrase is found over in Jeremiah 4 when it, it repeats without form and void. The same phrase one other time in Isaiah 34-1 where it's translated empty. And guys, false religion, belief in idols will always leave you empty. It always will. God spoke into tohu vavohu, into the emptiness and void. And it says in verse 3, He did what? He he said, let there be what? Light. Let there be light. And there was light. See, God calls His people to, to do what He did, which is to bring shalom... To chaos. Tohu vavohu is also defined as chaos. Does false religion bring chaos or peace? When Jesus came, what did the angels call him? The prince of what? Peace. Shalom. And, and shalom is different. You and I think of peace very differently. Shalom is a, is a contentment that's not based on your circumstances. And so God spoke shalom into the world and He calls us in Exodus 19 when He did it through Moses and in 1 Peter 2 to speak shalom into the world around us, not chaos. And if we're espousing false religion in any way, then we're not bringing shalom. We're bringing chaos. And so the way is about following Yahweh. Not Artemis, queen of the idols. She was the queen of idols. People came from all over the world. In fact, Artemis was worshipped in 33 countries at this time. It was huge. It was big business because you know what they would do? They would make these little silver idols. And that's what we're going to read next. It says, a man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. So he made these little bitty miniature shrines out of silver for people to have in their home so they could take back to their country and they could worship Artemis through that little silver idol. So it says in verse 24 that he brought no little business to the craftsmen. In other words... He was rolling in the dough because everybody wanted to worship Artemis. You know why? Artemis was the goddess of fertility. Fertility, you and I think about sexual reproduction, but it was more to that than these people. It was about the land's fertility. Crops. Crops meant money. And so, if you wanted the gods to bless you 
They had to bring rain so you got crops. So this was a big deal. People trying to secure the blessing of Artemis would go and buy these little silver shrines and they would have them in their home so they could pray to him. So everybody wanted him. If everybody was praying, praying to the silver shrine. And, and Yeah, and so in verse 25, then he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. He was kind of the director of the guild. You know how you have the Screen Actors Guild and some guy's in charge and he kind of looks out? Well, Demetrius was in charge of all the silver makers and the craftsmen who made these things. And so he calls them together. He says, men, you know how, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. He, I mean, he's just saying, this is where we get our money, guys. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Whoa, you mean the gospel can confront culture? You mean the gospel can say, God didn't mean for a man to marry a man? You mean the gospel can say, God has, has a design for things and we can speak truth to it based on the gospel? The brokenness of our world and that God has called people not to trust in what they think or their idea of truth, but His truth? Of course, that's what Paul did. He spoke the gospel to people. And what's interesting to me is God told His people, Israel, listen, you follow Me. You follow My commands and guess what? I'll bless your land. I'll bring the rain. I was reading this morning about Solomon when Solomon was praying to dedicate the temple. And God said, listen, you people follow, your, follow the statutes. Walk in My ways and I'll bring the rain. But if you don't, you're not going to get the rain. You're going to curse us. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn, repent of their ways, then I will what? I will heal their land. I will hear from them and I will heal their land. He was not saying to them, I'm going to make you people get along, which is how you hear it taught a lot. He was saying, I'm going to bless your land with rain. I'm going to bless you with crops. What I told you I would do. And what's interesting to me, I was just in Israel. Israel doesn't have an extensive river system. In fact, they've got the Jordan River. It runs north-south and runs into what? The Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. goes nowhere. just stops. But all around it, Egypt and other places, they have extensive rivers that go around that provide water. And God says, I'll provide for you. You just follow me. But these other false religions, the other nations, they worshipped Baal, they worshipped Asherah. Remember when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal? Baal was the god of thunder, the god of rain. That's why uh, Elijah said, there ain't going to be no rain for three and a half years. I'll show you who's god of the rain. And he says, okay, go get, go get all your prophets. Okay, you got the Baals, now go get the Asherah prophets. 850 against one god. What do you think about those odds? And you go out there and you say, we're going to see who worships the one true living God. 
Because my God brings shalom. Your God brings chaos. You've got all these people doing all this stuff and it brings no peace. They worship the dollar. They worship these false gods. By the way, do we have people in our culture that worship idols? Do we have people in our uh, culture that get upset when the gospel changes people to where they don't take their products? They don't look at pornography. They don't buy into that. They don't get into the, quote, vile sins of the world, whatever they are. Yeah, they don't like it either. But Paul persuaded, it says, and turned away. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. In Genesis 3, God said, I'm speaking light into the darkness. He brings shalom. And that's what we're supposed to be about. So, the Word of the Lord triumphs over false religion. But, verse 28 says, when they heard... Well, let me go back to 27. What chapter is that? We're in 19, Acts 19. Acts 19, 27. This is Demetrius speaking, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. She may even be deposed from her magnificence She whom all Asia and the world worships. So now they're saying, guys, we got to protect her because it's not just even our money. I mean, she's our source of the crops and the rain. They don't want to tick her off. So what do they do? When they heard this, verse 28, they were enraged. They cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with peace. Because they cried out to Artemis, right? They were filled with confusion. Why? Because God's Word brings wisdom, but false worship brings confusion. And that's what they were doing. They, 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 they were afraid of offending Artemis. No rain, no crops. They cried out. They were worshiping their false god and it brought them into confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's commandant. They just were going, and this theater would seat about 25,000 people. And they were so whipped up, they were a mob, and they just grabbed these two traveling companions of Paul and took them in there with them. And it probably wasn't like, hey, come on guys, let's go. They, they grabbed them and took them in there. Probably was pretty scary for him. And I love this verse. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Paul had to have some marine in him, man. I'm telling you. He's going into the gunfire. He's saying, I want to go in there. There's 20-some thousand people in there. I want to go in there. He, He saw an opportunity to go share the Gospel with people. And it says, and even some... well. It says the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his, 
sent to him and urged him not to venture into the theater. Now, who's Asiarchs? Well, the Asiarchs were basically uh, in every area, Rome would have nobility that would serve as proconsuls and they would serve as nobility in the city. They would speak to issues of law and other things. They were called the whatever, the Galatiarchs in Galatia, the Asiarchs if they had more of a, a general region. And so these were people that weren't even believers. They were just Roman people that were looking out for Paul probably because Paul was what? A Roman citizen. So is it okay for us to have friendships with people if they're not believers? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I remember when I was in Nepal preaching, the guy who invited us over there, we preached to, there were about 35,000 Bhutanese refugees in a field waiting for us to go preach. And at that time, there was a... Uh, uh, a terrorist group within Nepal that was hostile against the king. And they warned about them kidnapping Americans and they warned about them like if you're on your bus from one place to another, them stopping with their guns and taking all your money to support their cause or maybe kidnapping you for a ransom. So we had all these warnings, so much so that two or three people that were going on the trip with me said, should we really be going? So I called the guy and he said, yeah, we're in good shape. So we get over there and he introduces me to this guy, the guy who invited me to go preach. And I mean, I've got probably 20 people on our team. And we're doing this big outreach. John Monger was my translator. And um, after it's over, he goes, come here, I want you to meet this guy. And he introduces me to this guy and he's got this AK-47 sitting next to him. And I go, hi, how you doing? He introduces me, and he, you know, he's translating for the guy and everything. And uh, we walk away. I, th I thanked him for coming out. You know, I didn't know who he was, but we walked away, and I said, who was that guy? He goes, he's the leader of that terrorist group for this whole region. I went to school with him. He's my friend. That's why you don't have to worry, because he controls the roads. He controls everything. So when we, we got to get on our bus, eight of his guys get on the bus with guns to make sure that we were protected the whole way. And I go, wow, that's pretty cool. And he came out and heard the gospel. And I said, is he a believer? He goes, no, he's a Hindu. But he wanted to come hear what you had to say. Isn't that interesting? So these Asiarchs were friends of Paul's and they said, don't go in there, Paul, because it's dangerous. And so, Paul didn't. And in verse 32, it says, Now some cried out one thing, some another, because the whole assembly was in confusion. You know what that word is? It's babble. The Hebrew word is babble. Stubborn. Unbelief. Evil. They spoke evil of the way. And, and so, they were in confusion. Most of them did not know why they had come together. Think about that for a second. Have we had anything like that happen in our country in the last two years? No. Just a mob mentality? Hey, what are we doing? I don't know, but let's go do it. Oh, we're pissed off. Yeah, we're mad. We're mad. Let's just go do it. 
just a mob. Just a mob, and that's what they were. They were confused. Why? Why is that an issue, guys? Well, because God's Word brings shalom, not chaos, but it also brings wisdom and not confusion. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5, God says through Moses, See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. It makes me think when I read that of Joseph. When Pharaoh says, man, there's nobody like Joseph. Let's make him number two. And there was nobody had more power than Joseph except the Pharaoh himself. Now, where did his wisdom come from? He said, it's not me that interprets the dream. It's Yahweh. Or Daniel. That Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel number two or three in the whole kingdom. I mean, and we read through those things and we think, why? Do you ever stop and think, why were they so favored? Why were they so wise? It's because they knew the text. And they lived the text. And when the king said, hey, all you people from Israel, I want you to eat and drink and do the same. I'm providing all this food. Daniel goes, no, we can't do that. We don't have permission to do that from our God. But he had a friend on the other side to help them out too. Well, he had a guy that gave them the ability to do it. But have you ever been in a position where, where you knew somebody wanted you to do something that you knew would go against God's Word? When you choose to go along with the world, guys, you don't bring wisdom. You bring confusion. Because what happens is people see you say this, but live this. Our God is not a God of confusion. 2 Timothy 3 says, but as for you, Paul talking to Timothy, continue in what you've learned and you firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? The Scriptures. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. God's Word brings wisdom, not confusion. Uh, I think it's over in verse... I think it may be 1 Corinthians where it says, our God is not a God of confusion. He's not. And so, what happens is, it says in verse... uh, Go down to verse 33. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand wanting to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, what happened is the Jews go, listen man, we've got to have somebody stand up and say we're not with these people. These people, all the Artemis people are rioting against the Christians, against Paul and these people. So he stood up to tell them, hey, we're not like them. We're different. And they told him, sit down. They were so ticked, they didn't want to hear from him. But that's what Alexander was doing. And so then it says, 
What did they do? For two hours they cried out with one voice. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two whole hours. Think about that. All they did was praise and shout praise to this false god. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul spoke about this, guys, in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-11. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. Listen, I don't know if you've ever seen a mob, if you've ever been around a mob. It's a scary thing to be swept up in it. And I, he's, this is what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians. He says, On Him we've set our hope that He will deliver us again. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted through us through the prayers of many. So Paul is talking about how hard this time was. But he never lost wisdom. He didn't, I mean, he, he didn't go in there when they told him not to. He, would, he, he listened. And we saw that it not only triumphs over false worship, but false witnesses. All these people were making allegations against Him. Hey, He's speaking against Diana. He's speaking against our temple. And so it says in verse 35, and the town clerk who was like, it wasn't like this secretary clerk, it was like a, a leader clerk who oversaw, it was the liaison between Ephesus and Rome. And he said, men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? The problem was this guy was looking to the wrong stone. Psalm 118 tells us that there was a rock that fell from heaven and his name was Jesus. It wasn't this stone. It says in Psalm 118, Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. They were looking at the wrong rock. Verse 36, seeing then that these cannot be, these things cannot be denied, you need to be quiet and don't do anything rash. For you have brought these men here, and notice he says, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers, blasphemers of our goddess. In other words, guys, Paul conducted himself with respect and good character. Philippians 2, verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation among whom you shine as a light in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I didn't run so Paul and his associates, they lived what the Hebrews call Besorah la Besar. Besorah is the Hebrew word for euangelion. It's, it means good news, good tidings. La Besar means flesh. So good news in the flesh. In other words, the good news lived out. The Word of God lived out. And that's what they did. Why? Because... God's Word lived out brings light, not darkness. Even in the midst of darkness, 
Even when people bring false accusations, listen, all the martyrs throughout history, even though there were false charges against them, even though they suffered and died, they shined brightly as a light and the, the soil of Christianity was fertilized with their blood. And they were a living testimony. But notice this town clerk, just like Gallio and like the jailer took care of people. God has people out there. If He doesn't want you to go to jail, He can release you from jail. If God doesn't want you to be persecuted, He can release you. And that's what He does here. Why? Because He's in charge, not these people. He says in verse 38, listen, the courts are open. If you got a problem, take it to the court. He says, if Demetrius and a craftsman with him have a complaint, the courts are open. They're proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. In other words, we're going to go back to the theater in an orderly way, and we're going to hear the case. Because it's chaos. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. By who? By Rome. What does Rome do when there's rioting? They send in troops and they take military control. Ephesus is no longer a free city under Roman rule. It becomes a Roman-ruled city at that point. It's very different than it was. He says, we're in danger of being charged with rioting today since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he said this, he dismissed the assembly. I had Psalm 77. I don't have time to read it, but you can jot that down. Psalm 77 basically says, In the day of trouble I cried out. God's Word, guys, it triumphs over false religion, over false worship, over false witnesses. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we being messengers of shalom or chaos to those around us? What are we bringing? Are we walking in wisdom or confusion? Are we bringing light or are we affirming darkness? We've got to wrestle with that and understand that the only way we bring light, the only way we walk in wisdom, the only way we're messengers of shalom is if we're people of the book. People of the book. So let that sink in. Over the, over the holidays, I pray that you would read and reread the Gospels and you would uh, allow God to give you an opportunity to use that somehow maybe to share over Christmas whether people are going to choose to be people who live in Shalom under the Prince of Peace or live under chaos under people like King Herod.